Chapter Six of Some American Storytellers by Frederick Tabor Cooper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Six, David Graham Phillips. In any critical analysis of the life work of the late David Graham Phillips, it is well to recognize frankly at the outset that he has been a rather important figure in the development of American fiction in recent years we could name on the fingers of one hand the contemporary novelists who like mr phillips have devoted themselves to depicting and studying the big ethical and social problems of their own country and generation and doing it in a broad bold comprehensive way with a certain epic sweep and magnitude and among these few none was more deeply in earnest than mr phillips none strove more patiently to do his work in the best most forceful most craftsmanlike manner having made these concessions we are free to recognize that his results fell somewhat behind his intentions that with all his industry he developed his technique rather slowly and that while just a few of his novels are of a quality which no serious student of present-day fiction can afford to neglect a large proportion of the remainder may conveniently be set aside as merely tending to increase the bulk of a critical analysis without contributing any light of real importance now in saying that mr phillips was slow in acquiring the technique of construction it behooves a critic to define rather carefully just wherein he showed himself defective it certainly was not due to any lack of willingness or ability to practice infinite pains on the contrary the habit of making the act of writing a slow and conscientious toil grew upon him year by year few novelists of his degree of success have accepted adverse criticism in a more tolerant spirit but there was one thing that he resented and that was the charge of careless haste people sometimes say that i write too fast he protested not long before his death they said so about my light-fingered gentry they don't know anything about it i don't believe any one ever wrote more slowly and laboriously every one of my books was written at least three times he paused a moment then added in correction and when i say three times it really means nine times on account of my system of copying and revision when once under full headway in a book he worked immoderately producing an actual bulk of material far in excess of what was needed for the limits of the story i have writer's cramp every spring he said with a laugh as he became better acquainted with the characters and situations in a book his great difficulty lay in confining himself to such details as were strictly relevant to his central purpose he was hampered by knowing too much about his people their habits of life and methods of thought they were all the time taking matters into their own hands and insisting upon his setting down upon paper all sorts of happenings quite extraneous to the story according to his own estimate he usually ended by discarding not only in paragraphs and episodes but also in whole chapters from two to three times as much as he retained in the published volume nor are his faults of construction due to a lack of acquaintance with the best methods of the modern schools of fiction abroad as well as at home there are certain qualities in his later volumes such as old wives for new and the second generation which are to be explained only through the influence of the best french realism qualities which on the one hand are not the result of a conscious and deliberate imitation but on the other cannot possibly have been an independent and spontaneous creation the broad zoalesque sweep of phrase and action the sense of jostling crowds and ceaseless activity the endless panorama of city streets the whole trick of treating humanity in ranks and battalions as though the crowd were a natural unit of measurement 
these are things which mr phillips learned to do as just a few other american writers frank norris for instance and robert herrick have learned to do them and necessarily he must have studied at the fountainhead indeed his whole conception of what a novel should be was french rather than anglo-saxon when one discussed with him about theories of fiction he would admit frankly on the one hand that he had small use for such artificial devices for giving unity to a series of volumes as balzac's scheme of the comedie humaine or zola's complicated family tree of the rougeau macquart but he did insist upon seeing every human story as a cross-section of life and by a cross-section of life he did not mean a little local slice carefully measured to fit the dimensions of the particular story he happened to be telling on the contrary if he was narrating the simple love affair of a boy and girl in some small town of the middle west he was always conscious even though he had no need of bringing this out in the story that there was between that boy and girl and all the other people in that town an inevitable and all-pervading human relationship that the town was not an isolated community but was itself only a link in the vast network of social and industrial life stretching over the wide continent from the atlantic to the pacific with endless miles of railroad intersecting it with a centralized government a president and congress at washington and with countless lines of steamers keeping it in touch with the other world powers all this helps in a measure to show what to mr phillips was a very vivid actuality and of course the writer who always sees each little human happening not as an isolated incident but as a detail in a tremendous and universal scheme necessarily has a wider outlook upon life and necessarily communicates to his readers a similar impression of bigness and of vitality this brings us directly to the question why is it that so many of mr phillips's books contain more of promise than of fulfilment why is it that starting as they do with big ethical problems and a broad epic treatment they are so apt at the end to leave rather the impression of having given us an isolated and exceptional human story than of having symbolized some broad and universal principle the answer i think is simply this that there was a curious anomaly in the manner in which mr phillips's mind worked when in quest of the germ idea of a new story in spite of the fact that his instinct led him to write purpose novels and that his interest in social and economic problems was in some respects keener than his interest in people yet according to his own admission no story ever began to shape itself in his mind in the form of an abstract principle an ethical doctrine reversing the usual process followed by writers of the epic type he always started from a single character or episode and built from these sometimes indeed from nothing more definite than a face glimpsed for a moment in a crowd a striking case in point is the origin that he assigned to one of the novels left unpublished at the time of his death the theme of this story was the outgrowth of mr phillips's deep interest in the economic independence of the modern woman and more especially in the peculiar dangers and temptations which beset her as contrasted with the more sheltered lives of her mother and grandmother he had been deeply stirred by recent statistics regarding the influx of refined young southern women into new york so many of them fated to be swept under by the surge of city life he wanted to know whether such a girl could by her own efforts struggle up out of the depths to a position of independence and social standing such in substance is the longest book that mr phillips ever wrote a book that in the form in which he left it ran to considerably more than three hundred thousand words the title of the book has not yet been made public but it is probably safe to conjecture that it is the volume which he intended to call susan at all events it is utterly unlike any of his previous efforts 
and the author himself confessed that it baffled his powers of self-criticism but like all his other books it received its first impetus not from economics but from a trivial incident namely a passing glimpse of a young woman seated in a wagon the incident in question occurred when the author was a lad of fourteen it was in a western town where he chanced to be staying at the time and the face of the young woman in the farm wagon haunted him long afterward it was a beautiful face a face indicating breeding and culture but it bore the stamp of dumb hopeless tragedy as he stood gazing at her a gaunt elderly man rugged and toil-stained with the hallmark of the well-to-do farmer plainly visible upon him climbed to the seat beside her gathered up the reins and drove off mr phillips a boy though he was noticed how the girl shrank and whitened as her companion's shoulder touched her he heard the girl's story afterward she belonged to a family of local prominence but there had been a scandal sordid notorious unforgettable the girl herself was probably the one person in the community who did not know the facts she could not understand why her people were shunned socially nor why they welcomed the chance of providing for her by marriage with an illiterate but prosperous old farmer who lived at a desirable distance from town the girl's story has nothing to do with mr phillip's novel but the suffering on her face was his inspiration after the lapse of a quarter century it is the logical result of mr phillip's method of working from the concrete to the abstract from the specific to the general that his big underlying principle whatever it may be is never personified with that graphic visualization that makes it everywhere and at all times loom up portentously as for instance in zola's l'argent the bourse looms up in le ventre de paris the halle in l'assommoir the wine-shop like so many vast symbolic monsters wreaking their malignant pleasure upon mankind in mr phillips's books one feels the ethical purpose far more vaguely he is always stimulating he sets us thinking deeply over big problems most deeply perhaps when he most strongly antagonizes us but it is difficult to say with precision or at all events to say within the limits of ten words just what principle any one book of his stands for take for instance the best and strongest of all his books the husband's story even here the general public has groped rather helplessly to decide just what the author meant it must be admitted that on the whole the general public has in this particular case been rather stupid in failing to recognize that when mr phillips chose to see this particular story through the eyes of a certain shrewd and unscrupulous financier he deprived himself of the chance of expressing his own ideas directly and was obliged to give us every detail strongly coloured by its passage through another man's temperament nevertheless it is undoubtedly to some extent mr phillips's own fault that a majority of his readers assumed that the husband's story was an indictment of the american woman as a whole and not simply of one limited and ultra snobbish type of american woman and the same question of his meaning is raised with considerably more justice in every one of his earlier books is old wives for new a protest against girl and boy marriages or an endorsement of divorce or both is the hungry heart an arraignment of the doll's house treatment of a wife or a plea for equal standards for man and woman in questions of morality and is the second generation to be taken mainly as a protest against inherited fortunes a glorification of work or as a satire upon the snobbery of america's idle class in other words had zola written this book would his symbol for it have been the probate court the dinner-pail or the powdered flunkey 
it was part and parcel of mr philip's habitual tendency to see his cross-section of life in its entirety that he found himself unable to do one thing at a time found himself obliged to complicate and obscure his central purpose by having in reality several simultaneous central purposes this brings us face to face with the real fault of mr philip's method of work the real weakness of even his best achievements he was not merely the clear-eyed and impartial observer of life he was always a partisan and a reformer his interest was so keen in the problems he was seeking to set forth that he found it impossible to keep himself and his ideas out of them of course when you take one of mr philip's novels to pieces you discover that in its essence it is a problem novel but this side of his work he had learned to disguise pretty cleverly it is not so much the way in which he twisted the lives of his characters in order to point a moral as it is the slight running comment going all through the narrative portions of his stories that keeps us reminded both of his personal outlook upon life and of the annoying fact that he is trying to do our thinking for us here for instance is a trivial little example that may stand as typical of his method in white magic he had occasion to tell us as evidence of the expensive scale on which his heroine's mother ran her summer home that she had no less than five footmen in attendance at the front door now some of us may think this mere foolishness others may wax indignant over it as a criminal extravagance and others again simply regard it as no more than what was proper for a person in her position of life mr phillips had as good a right as anybody else to his own opinion about it but it was not good art for him to force that opinion upon the reader by couching this little fact in the following terms five lackeys five strapping fellows with dumb faces and the stalwart figures that the rich select as menial show-pieces there is a veiled sneer in the very intonation of such a sentence that is incompatible with the best art it is this uncontrolled tendency to inject the personal equation into his books that every now and then sets the reader tingling with sudden antagonism in the midst of some of his strongest scenes his outlook upon life was extremely clear-eyed and broad and if he had been content to give us the uncoloured facts and let us think what we would about them we should get considerably more benefit as well as enjoyment out of contact with his people and their histories that there is a good deal of snobbery among our wealthy and fashionable class our imitation aristocracy of money is undoubtedly true and to the average sane-minded american there is something distinctly foolish in the sight of an american mother trailing her daughters through europe with the open and unashamed intention of selling them to a title but after all questions of this kind are largely a matter of the point of view there is no useful purpose served in waxing indignant over people who happen to regulate their lives somewhat differently from the way in which you or i would regulate our lives it is always worth while to set forth as strongly as possible in a story certain existing social conditions which the author in his secret heart condemns but there is nothing gained by insisting that the reader must condemn them also it may very well happen that the reader does not at all share the author's views and in that case such an attempt to prejudice him is fully as irritating as is the colouring given to news in a paper of the opposite political party to your own this interference on the part of mr phillips born as it was of over-earnestness produced upon the types of his people and the construction of his plots certain modifications which are precisely what a shrewd judge of books might have expected in advance to find there in the first place 
it led him quite frequently to picture not what average people are doing under existing conditions but what somewhat unusual people would in his opinion have done under conditions just the reverse of those that exist as for instance in the second generation not what happens to the inefficient heirs of great wealth when the hard-working father dies but to the distinctly exceptional and self-sufficient children of a rich man who for their own good deliberately disinherits them or again in white magic he studied not the typical case of the girl reared in wealth and luxury who upon losing her heart to an impecunious artist fights a long battle with herself because she cannot go against her training but the exceptional case of the girl who flings such training to the winds and brazenly offers her heart and hand to the penniless artist in question who being himself equally an exception repulses her because he selfishly thinks that she will interfere with his art and secondly this tendency to tell us what we ought to think has its effect upon the individualization of his characters and more especially upon his women what i mean here is best illustrated by taking for a moment a book from which this particular fault is absent the husband's story the fact that this book was written in the first person made it of course impossible for mr phillips to obtrude directly his own opinions and probably it is due to this fact quite as much as to any other that artistically speaking this is the best book that he produced the character of the wife edna we get entirely as coloured by the husband's eyes as strongly coloured as though we were looking at her through a piece of stained glass the admirable thing about it is that the colour is uniformly and consistently maintained from start to finish a bit of craftsmanship that requires a rather masterly touch in turning from this book to others that are not written in the first person we realise that a good deal of the time mr phillips was colouring his women not so strongly to be sure but none the less to a noticeable extent in other words that he was forcing us to see them through the medium of his own eyes instead of directly from life we become aware of this by finding that he quite frequently expects us indeed demands of us to admire things that his heroines do and say which we ourselves cannot find at all admirable and sometimes he is led into making them take certain actions that we are quite sure the women that we ourselves think they are would not have been guilty of taking but questions of this kind are not a matter for generalization they can be better understood when we proceed to take up for separate analysis a few of the more significant of mr phillips's novels during the dozen years that represent the period of his activity as a writer of fiction mr phillips produced somewhat less than a score of volumes to analyze these books one by one in the order of their appearance beginning with the great god success and a woman ventures and coming steadily down the list through golden fleece and the cost and all the rest of them would be not only tiresome but futile it would be simply one of the many ways of making it impossible to see the woods because of the trees mr phillips was striving from the start to do pretty much the same sort of thing in all his work and the only practical difference between his later volumes and his earlier is that he was steadily learning to do the same sort of thing considerably better for this reason there is no point in spending time on those earlier volumes then if one were writing an analysis of zola it would be worth while to waste space on madeleine ferrat and nantas and therese raquin in point of fact one gets quite effectively the whole range of mr phillips's powers and also of his weaknesses in the volumes that belong to his period of mature development the volumes produced within the last four or five years the second generation is probably the best book to recommend to a reader approaching mr phillips for the first time because on the one hand it contains less than most of his books that is likely to arouse antagonism 
and on the other it admirably illustrates his strongest qualities his ability to give you the sense of life and motion and the clash of many interests the substance of it can be told in rather fewer words than his usual with mr phillips novels old hiram ranger millionaire manufacturer of barrels in a small western town suddenly makes two rather painful discoveries first he learns that his remarkable physical strength which has never once failed him throughout all his years is at last breaking and that he has not many days in which to set his house in order and his second and even more painful discovery is that for twenty years he has unwittingly been harming his son and his daughter by overindulgence allowing them to grow up in idleness to form foolish and extravagant tastes to choose their friends exclusively from the ultra-fashionable circles and to learn to despise the humble beginnings from which he himself sprang and from which the money that they thoughtlessly waste has come he decides in bitter agony of soul that there is at this late date only one thing that he can do to repair his huge mistake and that is to deprive his children of the inheritance on which they have counted the act hurts him more cruelly than it can possibly hurt them it hurts him through his love for them through his pride in them and through his desire for public esteem and approval since he foresees that such an act will be misunderstood and disapproved all of this part of the story the old man's sturdy courage and shrewd common sense contrasted with the weak vanity and costly luxury of the son and daughter is given with graphic truth rugged strength and a sure swiftness of movement but from the middle point of the story we get a rather exasperating impression that we are being allowed to behold not so much a cross-section of life as an up-to-date morality play old hiram ranger has chosen rather drastic methods to teach his son and daughter a lesson to reform their characters practically to make them over no one can say that a situation thus created is without interest but it becomes exasperating to find that the old man has made his calculations with the sureness of omnipotence that his plan succeeds even in all its minor details and that the son and daughter repent of all their errors reform themselves completely are to all intents and purposes born anew mr phillips was probably not conscious of it when he wrote the book but none the less it is to all practical intents a grown-up version of the story of the bad little boy who went fishing on sunday and was drowned and the good little boy who went to church and was rewarded with plum pudding a dozen different readers would probably give a dozen different statements of the central theme of old wives for new the real importance of this book for among mr phillips's books it is unquestionably one of the important ones is that it sets forth quite pitilessly the gradual estrangement that arises between a husband and wife in the course of long years through the woman's sloth and selfishness and gratification of all her whims it is an open question whether mr phillips's method of presenting this problem might not have been improved upon what he has done is to show us first in a brief prelude the sudden ardour of a boy and girl attachment each caught by the mere physical charm of youth and health and high spirits and rushing into a marriage with no firm basis of mutual understanding then he skips an interval of about twenty years and takes us into the intimate life of this same couple showing us with a frankness of speech and of thought that is almost cruel in its unsparing realism the physical and mental degeneration of the woman fat and old and slovenly before her time and the unspoken repulsion felt by the man who has kept himself young alert and thoroughly modern in outward appearance as well as in spirit the situation is complicated by the presence of two grown children a son and a daughter who see unwillingly the approaching crisis and realize their helplessness to ward it off 
such a situation in real life may solve itself in any one of fifty different ways what mr phillips has chosen to do is to bring the husband in contact with a young woman who represents everything in which his own wife is lacking and although the man fights for a long time against temptation in the end he obtains freedom from the old wife through the divorce court and promptly replaces her with the new there is probably no other american novel that gives us with such direct and unflinching clairvoyance the sordid repellent intimate little details of a mistaken marriage that slowly but surely culminates in a sort of physical nausea and an inevitable separation what a good many of us are apt to resent in the book is the stamp of approval that the author seems to place upon the man who deliberately discards a wife after her youth and beauty are gone not because he thinks it for their mutual welfare but for the cold-blooded reason that he wants to marry somebody else there is a sort of heartless immorality about the whole proceeding that makes us feel that the slovenly faded wife with her shallow pretence of having worn herself out with household cares her gluttony that has been the ruin of health and beauty her peevish temper and ridiculous vanity makes on the whole a rather better showing than the husband one cannot leave this book without adding just a word of protest against what may seem a trivial detail yet is the sort of detail in which mr phillips's technique sins rather frequently the husband has met the woman who embodies his ideal of feminine perfection quite by chance in the woods where he and his son are camping out in the course of three weeks almost without their knowing it they have fallen in love with each other then comes the awakening and they go their separate ways the man still knowing nothing of the woman's identity of her station in life or of the particular corner of america which is her home several chapters later the man is in new york helping his daughter buy her trousseau there are a thousand shops in new york from which she might choose but purely by chance she takes her father to the one shop which happens to be presided over by the woman with whom he is in love a coincidence of this sort is bad enough when it seems to be more or less of a structural necessity but when as in this case one can think of a dozen simple ways of avoidance it becomes unpardonable there is only one excuse for pausing to speak of mr phillips's next volume the fashionable adventures of joshua craig namely that it shows that even yet the author was weak in the power of self-criticism how it was possible for a writer possessing the breadth of view and the power of expression that have gone into the making of at least four or five of mr phillips's best novels to put forth seriously a piece of cheap caricature like joshua craig quite passes the understanding of the ordinary impartial outsider joshua craig is simply an exaggerated specimen of a rather exasperating type of novel which has unfortunately become far too common in american fiction the novel which shows the refined and carefully nurtured american girl usually from the east belying all her inherited instincts and acquired training by marrying the rugged virile usually rather vulgar man of the people who for the purposes of this type of novel is generally represented as coming from the west the whole type seems to have originated at about the time that owen wister made molly's new england conscience capitulate to the virginian and the type has steadily degenerated year by year but of course it is never fair to quarrel with an author simply because one does not happen to like what he has tried to do the trouble with joshua craig is that he has so obviously failed to do what he tried joshua is not merely bluff and rugged and primitive of manner he is loud-mouthed and vulgar and deliberately discourteous margaret severance the reigning beauty of washington whom he decides in his stormy violent irresistible way to marry not because he loves her but because he conceives the idea that she loves him 
is in point of manners pretty nearly his match she has a way of looking at people with a lady's insolent tranquillity and on one occasion when she receives a letter that angers her and her maid happens at the same moment to be buttoning her shoes she relieves her feelings by springing up and bringing her sharp french heel down with full force on the back of her maid's hand leaving it skinned and bleeding she is distinctly an unpleasant personality yet even so to marry her to such a cyclonic bore as joshua craig does seem rather like making the punishment exceed the crime passing over white magic which is simply an innocuous little love story told with rather more explosive violence than the theme warrants we come to the two books that exhibit mr phillips's ripest powers the hungry heart and the husband's story the hungry heart is a sincere and detailed study of a marriage that threatens to be a failure because the man adheres to old-fashioned standards regarding women while the wife with her modern education and progressive views finds it impossible to accept the role of domesticity and inaction to which he would assign her as a piece of careful construction this volume deserves frank praise the entire action takes place within the house and grounds of the husband's ancestral home the cast of characters is limited to just four people two men and two women we hardly get even a passing glimpse of any outsiders friends or relatives or even servants and yet within this little world of four people we get a sense of universality of theme and interest an impression not of learning the secrets of a few isolated lives but of learning much that is big and vital about man and woman there is nothing essentially new in the specific story it is simply one of the many variants of the familiar triangle the husband and wife who drift apart the other man who takes advantage of a woman's loneliness to persuade her that she is in love when really she is only bored and finally the inevitable discovery by the husband of his wife's infidelity what gives the book its value is not the episode of the wife's frailty but the wise far-sighted understanding of the way in which two people physically mentally and morally well equipped to make each other happy gradually drift apart through stubborn adherence to foolish prejudices mistaken reticence petty misunderstandings and a hundred and one trivialities no one of which by itself is worth a second thought while the cumulative effect of them all becomes fatal mr phillips's solution of the story in which he makes the wife experience a revulsion of feeling that drives her from her lover back to her husband while the husband after hearing her confession not only forgives her but practically admits that he is glad everything has happened as it has because the effect upon him is to have reawakened his love this solution comes as a disappointment one feels it to be in the nature of an anticlimax to an exceptionally fine piece of work that a man of this husband's conventional conservative type could bring himself to pardon and receive back the woman who admits her guilt with a frankness of speech that makes one wince rings false forgiveness under such circumstances is a delusion and a blunder the ghost of such a past would simply refuse to be laid an interesting sidelight on the concluding chapters of the hungry heart which in point of fact came near to being the author's favourite among all his books is shed by the following anecdote it was pointed out to him one day in friendly criticism that a woman such as the heroine was portrayed to be throughout the first half of the story would neither have remained with her lover nor gone back to her husband but would have lived alone unless some third man eventually came into her life this comment impressed mr phillips to an extent which seemed disproportionate until he confessed that the solution of a third man was precisely what he had planned from the start as definitely as it lay in him to plan anything in advance 
but he explained when he had reached the midway point his characters took the matter quite out of his hands he suddenly awoke to the realization that his heroine was quite a different woman from what he had all along supposed her to be she made it clear to him that she was not the kind either to hold to the old lover or to take a new one she was the type of woman who would have the courage to go back if i have not made her convincing he concluded to that extent the hungry heart is a failure but he added undauntedly i know the type of woman i was after and i know she would have done just what i made this woman do lastly we have the husband's story which is the type of book that we had long had the right to expect from mr phillips and which if he had been spared might have been the first of a long series of equal strength and bigness like all of this author's best previous work it is a study of marriage that failed and the reason that it is a better and bigger book than any of his others is not because of his theme but because of his workmanship the thing is better done in its underlying structure in its working out of details in all that goes to make up good technique robert herrick when he wrote the diary of an american citizen attempted to handle much the same subject in the same way but that book clever though it was hardly did more than scratch the surface of the opportunity lurking in his theme mr phillips dug deeper he has shown us in the lives of a certain couple godfrey loring and edna his wife all the artificiality and selfishness the empty ambitions and false ideals that lie behind the tinsel and glitter of the so-called four hundred the husband tells the story with great simplicity and directness he makes no secret of the utter sordidness of their origin in passaic new jersey of edna's father the undertaker known as old weeping willie and his own father honest innocent soul with a taste for talking what he thought was politics he makes it clear that edna married him not for love but because he was getting the biggest salary of any of the young fellows whom she knew and so offered her the best chance of advancement she deliberately intended when she married him to get as much out of him as could be gotten by clever driving nor could she have planned the thing more ruthlessly had she been acquiring a beast of burden instead of a husband now the one thing that saves the story and renders it at all possible is the fact that the husband is an exceptional man with that extra sense which constitutes the business instinct and coupled with it a saving sense of humour the early chapters picturing the transition period while edna was floundering out of the half-baked standards of passaic into the midway stage of brooklyn are full of those wonderful little flashes of first-hand observation that seem like fragments filched if not directly out of your life and mine at least from that of the family next door or of the neighbor across the street this husband is never for an instant under any illusion about his wife he realizes her incompetence the incompetence of thousands of young american wives for the particular work they have undertaken the work of wife and of mother and of housekeeper he realizes too her craving for social advancement and in a half-confessed way he sympathizes with her and is willing to accept the fruits of her social conquests although he will not raise a finger toward helping her this perhaps is the cleverest touch in mr phillips satire he does not tell us in so many words that the husband is just as much at fault as the wife just as unfitted for his task of husband and father and master of the house as she is for her duties but he makes this perfectly clear and distributes the blame with an admirable equity if she has been cold and calculating and dishonest in her social life he has been cold and calculating and dishonest in his business life if she is meanly and snobbishly ashamed of the people from whom she sprang so also is he 
if she has been too absorbed in her schemes for advancement to give him the companionship due from a wife he in turn is too absorbed in huge financial deals to give her the love and care due from a husband in other words this book might be defined as an indictment of the high life american marriage on the ground of the woman's vaulting ambition and overweening self-importance and the man's inertia coupled with his absorption in the busy game of chasing dollars a large part of the merit of this undeniably big novel lies in what it merely implies rather than in what it says to conceive a story of this sort is something in itself to be proud of but to conceive of telling it through the husband's lips was a stroke of genius to have told it in any other way would have been to rob it of its greatest merit the all-pervading sting of its satire as i have tried frankly to recognize mr phillips was a writer with many qualities and some defects like all men who have it in them to do big things but it would have been easy to forgive more serious faults than his in any one possessing his breadth and depth of interest in the serious problems of american life and his outspoken fearlessness in handling them there are unfortunately few in this country to-day who are even trying to do the sort of work that he was doing and the fact that he did it with apparent ease and that he had reached a point where he had begun to do it with triumphant strength multiplies tenfold the tragedy of his untimely death the interruption of fate at the midpoint in his career has entailed a loss to american fiction not only irreparable but one which can never be accurately measured End of chapter 6